What are the Ten Commandments? Can you name them? Have a think and try to remember which ones came to your mind first. Hi, my name is Stuart Cutler and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this time together from St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. Wherever you are, whoever you are and whenever you find yourself watching us, we're delighted that you found us. If you keep listening or watching at the end, you'll hear much, much more about what's happening at St Ninian's and you can visit our website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk for more information. But one thing I did want to mention before we go much further is that next Sunday, that's the 7th of November, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. This will happen in the church and here online, so if you want to join us, then please have some bread and wine or a suitable alternative ready for next week's service. Today, I'm joined in leading worship by my wife, Avril, who will lead us in prayer later, but first brings us our scripture for today. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbour as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. We've skipped ahead again in our journey through Mark's story of Jesus. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem and we find him in the temple debating questions of the law. We have to remember that the law was religious. There was no separation between civil law and religious law. Everything was religious and it was the religious authorities who were also the people who judged people and sentenced them when they broke the law. If that sounds strange, then remember that the Church of Scotland is still based on a system of courts. General Assembly is the High Court, Presbytery is like the Sheriff Court, and the Kirk Session is the local court. Not that long ago, people would be brought before the Kirk Session to account for their bad behaviour. People who had broken the rules would be forced to sit on a stool at the front of the church where everyone could see them. It was the church equivalent of the naughty step. There are still places in Scotland where the church holds a lot of sway over what happens and what's acceptable and what isn't. We've missed a few arguments between Jesus and the powerful religious and political groups of his time. The Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees came to see Jesus and they asked him questions that were designed to trap him. We've spoken about them before. The Pharisees ask about paying Roman taxes and the Sadducees ask weird questions about a man who's been married and had several wives but they've all died. Who would he be married to on the day of resurrection? These groups had already decided that Jesus had to go. In chapter 3, we hear that the Pharisees and the Herodians, two of those groups who had very little in common, had got together to plan to kill Jesus. 
The scribes from Jerusalem had also come to check out Jesus and they declared that he was satanic. Now, they have Jesus in their territory, in the great temple of Jerusalem, their headquarters, the seat of their power where everything they say is quite literally the law. Their only task is to make Jesus say something wrong so that they can get rid of him. Jesus unties their knots and leaves them astounded at his answers. They just can't trip him up, even with their most difficult conundrums and queries. One of the scribes has been watching, and we hear that he's impressed with Jesus, so he goes to talk to him. And the scribe asks what seems like the most obvious question ever, which is the greatest commandment? So which is the greatest commandment? It's easy for us now because Jesus told us the right answer, but there are ten to choose from. And to be honest, when I asked at the beginning, I wonder how many of us thought of the first commandment first. We usually go straight to the others, the do-nots, and even within them there's a hierarchy. Kill, steal, false witness and adultery. They come before honouring your father and mother. That's not high up our list and coveting our neighbour's donkey. Nah. But I didn't ask what was the most important one. Perhaps though, which one comes to our minds first gives some indication of what ones are really important to us. What Jesus does though is fascinating. Straight away he replies with a version of the first commandment. Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But that's not actually the first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. In fact, Jesus' answer isn't in the list of Ten Commandments God gave to Moses at all. So what on earth is this and where does it come from? And why does the scribe, who's an expert in the law, agree with Jesus that this is the most important commandment? This argument about what is the most important commandment is nothing new. The people who wrote the books of the law hundreds of years before Jesus had come up against the same problem. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 to 9, they try to settle the argument by explaining why the first group of commandments in the ten are the most important. They say this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me, that's Moses, to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your lives and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently so that it may go well for you, so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you're away and when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And there it is. The restating of the commandments in a positive way. Instead of do not do this, this version is a do. Do love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Actually, it's more positive than that. Or maybe more to do with you and your efforts. The Greek puts it more in these terms. 
You shall love the Lord, the God of you, with the whole heart of you, and the whole soul of you, and the whole strength of you. This is as much about you as it is about God, all of you, the whole of you. But there's a problem. This can lead to a very disconnected version of religion that I suppose we might recognise a bit in communities that cut themselves off from the whole of the world completely to concentrate only on loving God. Or it can lead to a kind of religion where the worship part is the most important bit and the rest of your life is just the bit that happens in between the important stuff of worship. Jesus adds a second commandment. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. And again, that's not in the list of ten, so where does it come from? Jesus doesn't make it up. This has been at the heart of Jewish law from the start too. This is found in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. But Jesus only quotes half the verse. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. There in the middle of all the religious leaders and experts, Jesus calls them out. He knows exactly what their plans for vengeance are, their interests in the law, only to further their own position, their own power and prosperity. They aren't actually interested in justice. This is all very well, but so what? What does any of that have to do with us? Perhaps we fall into the trap of self-interest. Perhaps we all want people to agree that our way is the right way or that our understanding is the right one. Jesus' answers invite actually they command a way of living that demands we throw our whole selves, everything we have, into loving God. This is a summary of all the stories we've been reading about the rich man and the blind man and the teaching about leaving your father and mothers and brothers and sisters and finding out that actually family goes way beyond our limited understanding. When I love God completely, it spills out into my life. I love my neighbour because I see my neighbour as precious to God And my idea of who my neighbour is, is expanded. My categories and conditions melt away because if God created each and every one of us, then my primary concern is to love those who God loves. Remember when the rich man is sad because Jesus asks him to give up his stuff. Jesus loves him. That's what we're told. Not that he was angry with him or disappointed in his life choices. Jesus loved him. The scribe who asked the question sees that Jesus has taken them beyond mere religious observance into faith lived out in the world and Jesus tells them he's not far from the kingdom of God. It would have been easy for Jesus to lump that scribe in with the others. You're one of them. He said that I was in league with Satan. But he doesn't. He hears the man out, he engages with him, he acknowledges that he's on the right track. In short, Jesus lives out those commandments he says are the most important. He doesn't bear a grudge. He doesn't seek vengeance. He loves the man. And that's how it works. One person at a time, one encounter at a time, one decision at a time to treat the person in front of you, not only how we would like to be treated. That's easy. That's when we get close. That's when the kingdom of God comes near. But when we treat people like God would treat them, When we live our lives doing that each and every moment, when we love the Lord, the God of you, with the whole heart of you, the whole soul of you, and the whole strength of you, that's when the kingdom really comes.
Salvation, mercy. 
Let us pray. Let us praise you, O Lord, with all our souls for as long as we live. Let us sing praises to you while we have breath. Our world is ruled by mortal men and women in whom we must not put our trust, for too often their plans, like their lives, are short-lived and often perish with them. Ultimately, our trust must be in you, our Lord and God, and in the people who inspire to bring your kingdom to life. Like all the men and women who fight for justice for the oppressed, who feed the hungry, who feed the prisoners and help them after the release to find a better way to live. Like all the women and men who teach us about you and the universe that we inhabit, who help us to see where we can help to create your kingdom. Like all the men and women who lift up those who are bowed down, who welcome the stranger, who uphold the orphan and the widow, and who help the wicked see the error of their ways. Eternal God of heaven, may earth sing your praises forever. May humanity praise your holy name and continue to co-create with you until your kingdom is here and now. Help us as we pray in your words, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Go in the strength of God, who champions the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, who releases the captive, who cares for the orphan, the widow, the stranger, who lifts up the downcast, who sustains in being all that there is. Go in hope, go in peace, go rejoicing and trusting in God who calls you by name and whose blessing is yours forever. The Food Bank Collection is every Sunday from 1 to 2.30pm here at the church. The Guild Committee meets on Monday the 1st of November at 7pm in the church hall. Boys Brigade, the Anchor Boys have already started back and I'm glad to say that the Junior and Company sections restart on Wednesday the 3rd of November. Junior section is for those in P4 to P6 and that starts at 6.45pm and finishes at 8pm. And the company section, that's P7 to S6, is from 8pm until 9.30pm. Girls Brigade have received authorisation to restart from Girls Brigade headquarters, so they have begun the process of getting all the things that they need in place and we will have a start date for them very soon. 
The Pastoral Care Committee meets on Wednesday the 3rd of November at 7pm in the church. Our craft fair is on Saturday the 6th of November from 10am till 2pm. Tickets are £2.50 and include tea, coffee and biscuits. As well as stalls, a menu of filled rolls, toasties and soup will be on sale. Raffle tickets for a beautiful Christmas quilt made by Anne Thompson and Agnes Barr are on sale. Tickets are £2 and will be on sale throughout November, including at the craft fair. The draw will be made at the end of November. We will celebrate communion on Sunday the 7th of November, both online and at 11am in St Anne's. We will also dedicate a new table cover and pulpit falls donated by the McQuaid family in memory of Jim and we'll be installing Fiona Anderson as our new session clerk and saying thank you to our retiring session clerk, Margaret McGregor. Night Church restarts on Sunday the 7th of November at 7.30 until 9pm. This is a quiet space where you can come and spend some time with your own thoughts, staying for as long as you wish. Towards the end, there will be a time of prayer together. Articles for the Link magazine, as soon as possible please, to Avril or email them to me. We've been waiting to see what activities will be on over Christmas and what other groups have been able to restart. Remember, the magazine covers all the next few months, so if you have anything planned for January, February and March, then please include them so we can let people know. The Guild meets on Monday the 8th of November at 7.30pm and the speaker is Avril Cutler. She's the Senior Healthcare Chaplain at NHS Lanarkshire who will talk about hospital chaplaincy in a time of pandemic. The Guild is open to women and men of all ages and even though I'm probably a bit biased, I think you'll find Avril's story of the last two years fascinating. The Fundraising Committee meets on Monday the 9th of November at 7pm in the church And the craft night resumes every fourth Monday, so in November, that's Monday the 22nd of November at 7pm. 